up stuff and light things on fire and do sparklers. And we didn't like totally go overboard in my family, but we did a bunch of cool stuff. And our neighbors had, you know, rockets and things that they were shooting off and everybody had all kinds of fireworks. And, and it was a, a pretty fun deal. And I always looked forward to 4th of July because you didn't really get to do that kind of stuff all that often. And even like you know, having matches in our family was like kind of frowned upon. So we, you just didn't know what was going to happen with uh, my brothers and myself. So anyway, but, uh, but I like Fourth of July, and I've always kind of thought it was a great thing up until about two years ago. And then two years ago, I was uh, at some, I was at an early morning meeting or something on the Fourth of July. I don't even remember what that was. And I was coming home, and as I said, I kind of live out in the country a little bit, and and there's a, the street out in front of our house, and there's, a, there's kind of a gate to our house, and you have to kind of use a clicker to open that gate. And we have two dogs, and they're mostly lab, and then the other part is stupid. So they're, they're like, um, so they're mostly lab and partly stupid, or mostly stupid and partly lab. I don't know, but anyway, that's the way they are. They're kind of boneheads. And, and uh, anytime, anytime that gate opens up out front of our property, they are gone. They're out. I mean, they're running to the neighbors. They're in a farm. They're rolling around in things they shouldn't be rolling around in and coming home and all that. So, but, so we always kind of make sure that somebody there has them under control or whatever before you open the gate and come in the driveway. But this time, it was early in the morning, as I said, on uh, 4th of July. And I'm thinking, it's early. Nobody's even up yet. It's a holiday. And I drove in hit the clicker in my car, the gate opened up, I looked up and there was Gene standing going, no, no, and there were the dogs, boom, right out of the gate. As I pulled in, couldn't stop them at all, they're out, I hear brakes squealing and screeching and bam, and the next thing I know, I'm inside, and a young guy was coming down the road the other way in a small pickup truck and hit one of the dogs, I mean, hit him good, and uh, He's pinned underneath this little truck, and he's thicker than the truck is high off the ground. So I run in, I get, a, I get my jack, my car jack, and I jack up the guy's truck. The young guy, not his fault, and uh, I jack up the guy's truck, and I'm down there looking at my dog, and he's still okay, but he's underneath there pinned, and he's just, he's just looking at me like, what, what was that that happened? And... Uh, Somehow he miraculously got hooked up under with one of his legs, back legs, and didn't get run over. But we lifted him off, got him into the car, drove him to the vet, took care of him, got him to the vet. They're going to work on him. No broken bones, no internal injuries. I mean, he's like a miracle dog, okay? Um, but he's going to be there for a bit, and he's going to be sedated. Anyway, so he's like in, the, in there, and uh, then I get back home. Gene goes off to work. Uh, Jessica's off to work. I'm by myself. Where's the other dog? Normally, if they get out, they come back in about 10 minutes. We call for them, and they come back stinky. But no dog comes back. I'm out. I'm literally, it's the hottest day of the year. I'm out for hours, because this happened in the morning, looking for this other dog. I can't find it. I think maybe it's in a ditch. Maybe it's, you know, whatever. I don't know what's happened to it. I'm in the car, I'm in the neighborhoods, I'm all around our area, I am combing, I can't, no response, dog doesn't come, I can't find this dog. I'm looking forever for this dog. At one point, I get on my bike, I go back to this neighborhood, I'm bicycling through, I'm calling for the dog. There's an area a little bit away from me, 
really nice homes. I mean, these are huge kind of sort of mansion sort of, t- not my house. They're sort of like that, okay? And, and they're big and they have big lawns. There's a couple of lakes out in front of these houses and it's like, you know, it's, they're like amazing. I come back, I've ridden all around there, nothing. I can, I'm exhausted. I'm like just drenched in sweat and I realize as I get back to the house that I had forgotten and I left the front door open, there's a hummingbird in my house. There is a hummingbird in my house. I can't get this hummingbird out of my house. I'm like up with blankets and stuff, kind of trying to get him to the doorways, and you don't want to kill the thing. I mean, like, he will not leave the house. Finally, he leaves the house. A little while later, not too much longer later in the afternoon, I get a phone call. It's from the vet. The vet says, hey, somebody has your other dog. And it's over in this other area. They're holding kind of, they've got it over there. I go, I've been there. I go back and it's this really nice area. And sure enough, it's in front of one of these gorgeous homes. It happens to be vacant. It's not sold yet. But it's it's awesome house, huge lawn, trees, hottest day of the year. There's my dog in the shade laying down. These people are not, they're just standing watching him. He's right there, wet. He's been swimming in the lake. He's had a great day. You know, he's had the 4th of July of his life. He's been out free. He's gone swimming. He's in the shade. He's having a great time. He doesn't give a rip about his brother who's in the hospital. You know, he doesn't care about that. Dogs are like that. My 4th of July, the next year, that was like not on the 4th, but the week following the 4th, the same dog that had been in the hospital. He's okay now. Sort of mentally, it may be a little challenge. But anyway, he, he's... Um, he decides he's going to go after the rattlesnake. He gets popped twice in the face. So he goes back to the vet. We take him in. They go, oh, hey, it's him. They know him. They love him. He's like been there so much. Anyway, Fourth of July around my house sometimes is chaotic. I'm just kind of glad I'm here. It's not exactly the same kind of chaos. We'll see what happens. That's kind of, Gene's going to take care of that, I'm sure. So anyway, but our lives can get chaotic. They can get bizarre. There's stuff that happens we have absolutely no control over. You might have walked in today and you've got chaos happening somewhere in your life. And there's some area that you're as, like totally out of control for you. Don't know what to do with it. Don't know how it's going to play out. You just know there's some chaos there. I could sure use some help. We launch into this series today in Psalms. And the Psalms is about giving us insight into the character of God and how we connect to Him for help, no matter what is going on in our life. So why don't you just pray with me for a second. God, would you just be with us today, no matter what we brought into this place in our life, whether it's family issues or crisis of some kind or we're worried and anxious of something. God, you know the chaos that we deal with. God, would you just be here to give us direction and wisdom from your perspective, connect us to you to give us the resources that we need to know that you are in control of life and our lives as well. God, could we hear you today speak into life? In Jesus' name, amen. The Psalms are this incredible gathering of writings, and they're really the the songbook of the Bible. They're the place where the, the lyrics are written, Directives are given to choir directors and people as they gather together to worship God. They're the, they're the songbook of the Bible. 
They're the ways in which we connect to God. They're, they say the things that our heart needs help to say. They release the thoughts that we have through the writers of those songs to God. Songs are amazing. You know how when we listen to songs and then they get ingrained in us and we begin to kind of own those songs and we begin to sing those songs and, and those are expressions of our heart. Well, that's what the Psalms are about here. They're helping us to connect with God in a great way. And for, for, those, um, for those who learn those Psalms early, learn to, to sing through those, to go to worship experience where they use those, incredible. It's kind of the hymn book that we would use. How many people know what a hymn book is? Anybody know what a hymnal is? Good. Okay, good to see some of you. All right. Anyway, so nobody, but you know, hymnals, we used to have those at churches and they were like on, in every chair or whatever and they'd tell you to turn to page 256 and you'd stand up and you'd sing out of this book and it, it had all of these great hymns and songs that you sang. But then something happened in the church, I think in about the 70s or so, maybe the 60s, and, and then people began to write other songs that weren't in hymn books. And so some people would go, that's a great song or that's a great chorus, and then they'd write them down on pieces of paper, but they weren't in the hymn book, so you had to make uh, copies of those and pass them out at church or whatever. You remember that? How many people remember singing off of like song sheets because it wasn't in the hymnal, right? Okay, good. Some of you remember paper. All right, anyway, so then, then there was like a time after that where more and more of those things were being produced and you didn't want to keep just doing paper, and um, there were these things called overhead projectors. And an overhead projector would be like sitting right here uh, on the stage, okay, and it'd be right here, and there'd be a person right here, and they had these plastic sheets that had the words of the song or chorus on those, and then there would, the person would put it up, and you'd be looking at it on a screen, and you'd be singing, kind of like we do today, but the interesting thing about those old projectors was, do you remember, like, they would have to move them or get them in the right direction, but nobody really knew how to do that very well. And they were always going sideways or upside down or the person to put it on backwards or something. Do you remember that? Anyway, I thought that was great. Anyway, but those are, um, that was part of the deal. But the Psalms, the Psalms are about helping us to take those songs and expressions of connection to God in a way that allows our heart to sing those things, to share those things, to, to meditate on those things. When the children of Israel were in worship times, they would bring, they would read the Torah, the, the books of the law, the Pentateuch. They, they would read those together. They'd have everybody stand up and they'd read those uh, early writings. And they would memorize those for the most part, and then they would stand together. And when they stood together to read those things, what it did was it reinforced those thoughts about God in their lives. So as they memorize those things, they begin to chew on them, own them, meditate, soak them into their life so that it became part of their character. It became part of their identity. It became the way in which they connected to God and were reminded of their relationship with God. It helped them to move forward. So that's what the Psalms are about. They're, they're these incredible writings that help us connect in a heart level to the God that we worship. And they cover everything, they co which is great about them. They can be laments, they can be arguments, they can be worship praises, they can be all across the human uh, character of, of, of emotions and issues that we face. They're great books and great songs of writing. So today I want to talk about Psalm 1. You know, there's 150 Psalms, I'm, you know, in this series I'm not going to do all 150 
you know, we'd have the longest summer of our lifetime. So we're not going to do that. I'm just going to pick a few as we go through the summer. But I wanted to start with Psalm 1, which is a great one. And I, I don't have that for you. Most of it is written in your, uh, you know, kind of your program of notes there today. And you can kind of follow along. I'm going to read this psalm to you. Just listen to it. Maybe you know it. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Wow. This is a great and powerful psalm. It's a little bit different than many of the other psalms because it's kind of the introduction to what the psalms are going to do with us by setting a tone of what it means to be walking in the path with God as opposed to those who do not. Where does joy land? Where does joy land? Psalm 1 begins with this phrase, blessed is the one. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. Blessed is the one. To be blessed in Hebrew is the word for happy or joyous. The deeper meaning of that word, the root of that is to to be a person of bliss. It It is happy, joyful. It is a psalm about being joyful. It means to come forth or to go forth in advance, to advance, to move forward, to lead the way. Happy is the one who is leading the way, who is advancing their relationship with God, who allows God to lead them along a path that is distinct and direct with God, that has purpose and meaning in life. Happy is the one who follows God's path to lead them in the way of God. It's pressing on ahead in life. It's keeping their eyes on God, keeping their eyes fixed on what God is doing, being attentive, being energetic, but pressing on ahead in life, trusting God with life. The psalmist begins by describing what the blessed person does not do. It's interesting here. What the blessed person does not do. He or she does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Or stand in the path of sinners. Or sit in the seat of the scornful. The blessed person does not have time for that. They don't have time for that. This is a huge warning to not fall victim to things and people that will derail you from God's advancing your life in the right direction. Be a blessed person. Psalm 1-1, blessed is the one. Well, here are some, how do we kind of sidestep the enemy 
of being blessed. What is the enemy of joy with God? The enemy of joy with God to me is cynicism. And that's what this psalm is about. It begins when we take our eyes off of God and put them onto other people. And people who are not necessarily keeping pace with God. And keeping on His purpose and plan. It begins when we slow down and we begin to walk in the counsel of ungodly. That means that we begin to listen to the advice of people who live their lives in their own power and strength and not in the strength and character of God. It says this in the psalm, who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law, the words, the teaching, the Scripture, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this law day and night. Let's look at these three concepts described here, the wicked, sinners, and mockers, for just a moment. Ungodly or wicked are kind of interchanged right there. Those with no dependence upon God. They're not really always bad people, but they're those who believe that they can do everything in their own strength and power. That's ungodly. It's about those whose determination is to live life on the horizontal without any regard for the vertical. In other words, I'm going to live my life as I see fit on a human level, but I really have no interest in connecting with God on a vertical plane. I just don't advance my life that way with God. A dependence upon God. The blessed person does not slow down and walk with people like that doesn't mean we don't have anything to do with people around us. It's not like I'm just going to move myself and cloister myself away and I have nothing to do with other people. That's not what the psalm is saying. But if we get caught off guard and begin to sit and remain in the company of people who have no regard for God, there is a warning here. Because we will begin to think like them and act like them. Sinners is the second little word or phrase that's used there. Those living by wrong values and goals is what that means. That's what the psalmist means by standing in the path of sinners. The sinner's condition is worse than the ungodly. The ungodly live their lives without any dependence upon God. The sinner excludes him entirely. Sin means to miss the mark. If we were to shoot an arrow at a target and we missed the target, we'd miss the mark. That's what sin is. It's missing the mark. To miss it badly. Sinners have the wrong goals in their life. They have the wrong mark that they're aiming for. Don't get caught aiming at the wrong mark is what the psalmist is saying. They're headed in the wrong direction. Standing among them tempts us to miss out on the purposes of glorifying and honoring God. We aim at other things. And we know what that's like to aim at the wrong things and have to come back to God. We all do that. And that's the warning for us is don't get caught consistently being among people who are missing the mark and are shooting for the wrong thing. Sinner is usually described, uh, describes conduct. In Hebrew, it denotes those who are living the wrong values and goals, as I said. To stand in their path eventually 
uh, and to, to go with them will lead us in a direction away from God. That's the warning. The warning with the ungodly is that that, that influences our thinking when we're with the ungodly. Standing with sinners affects our behavior. The first is about our thought process. The second is about how we begin to behave. I love what Dr. Lloyd Ogilvie said. He said, cynicism starts with thought. It is expressed in attitude, and it becomes part of our being. It moves from thought to conduct. Scoffers, the third. Those are uh, those who, whose pride puts themselves above God. They live in, in the arena of, of pride above God. They mock God. Their heart is about pride. Pride questions God's ways. Pride lives independently. It lives independent of God and God's guidance for them and His power. Most people live that way, kind of independently of God. And that's the warning here. The psalmist says, blessed is the person who avoids cynicism, who avoids ungodliness, who avoids the sinner, who avoids those of pride, prideful. Why does he say that? He says that because the one who is blessed doesn't need those things. They have other resources. They have greater resources for life. Then they're challenged to meditate on the law of the Lord, to meditate on the words of God, to allow Scripture to be the thing that influences their thinking and their conduct, to allow the Scripture to begin to connect us with God, and to allow God Himself to ruminate in one's life shapes our thinking, shapes our conduct, and keeps us moving forward, advancing. That's the challenge in Psalm 1. But those, but whose delight, speaking of those, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law day and night. God's amazing alternative. God's amazing alternative is set up by delighting in who God is and in who is, what His Word says. When the Hebrews would read the Torah, the scriptures, the ancient scriptures allowed, they would read it in kind of low chanting tones. It became a part of their process of worship in such a powerful way. Why did they do that? Because it gave them focused attention. They were learning by eye and ear and heart. They were learning to use the Torah, the scriptures, to deepen their walk with God. They said it together. They were accountable together. They learned together. They spoke about it together. It's the same for us when we begin to meditate on Scripture. We begin to kind of chew on Scripture. We begin to move it into our life. It begins to make sense. It takes root as well. That's when we're immersed in God's Word. Here's this. It says this in the verse 3. That person who meditates on the Word of God, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Well, the image here is of like a palm tree that is being transplanted and planted beside a river. And they transplant this palm tree near the river so that the roots of the tree then can grow deep and it gathers nourishment from the water. It begins to draw the resources of the water into the tree so as to strengthen the tree's root system and structure. 
So the tree becomes stronger and more stable, fit to take on whatever buffers its way, whatever comes its way, whatever weather patterns, the wind, whatever comes upon it, that tree stands firm because it is firmly rooted in a nourishment that is ongoing to who it is. The psalmist says that's what it's like to be connected to God. When we meditate on His Word, His Word is the resources drawn into our life to make us strong and secure and stand whatever comes across our path. Incredible imagery. That's what it's like. We bear fruit then in the right season because we're strong and secure in God. Contending with cynicism. I love what it says in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Here it is. Rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Love those verses. Great to memorize. Do you remember when Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman that was at the well, if you remember that story, and she was trying to draw water from the well, and Jesus was speaking to her about water, and then He began to say to her, you know, the water that I can give you, you have to keep coming back here day in and day out to receive water. And Jesus said, you know, the water that I can give you is everlasting water. You drink of the water that I can give you. You won't be thirsty again. Remember when Jesus talked about the living water that can flow through him into a person's life? That's what he's talking about. He says, draw your resources from me. Let the living water that I can provide, that no one else can provide for you, let those resources be drawn into your life. That is the living water. Some of you, maybe today, you came just to hear that, to be reminded that God's living water can restore and refresh you today. Whatever you came here carrying today, God can wash over that with His living water of His presence. Whatever issues you face in life, God is more than able to bring you the refreshment and restoration that you need today to face those things. Maybe you came here a bit parched today. Maybe you came here thirsty and dry spiritually. It only takes a moment to turn to God and say, God, I'm, I'm dry. I'm out of character with you. I'm not on the right path with you. I need, I want that restoration. I need that living water in my life. Today, God is more than able, more than willing to pour out His blessing his living water into your heart and soul. God wants to do that. There's a passage in John 7, just a few chapters after uh, we find that uh, interaction with Jesus and the woman at the well. It's Jesus and He's at the temple. And He's observing what's going on in the temple. And in chapter 7 it says, Jesus is observing how a priest is carrying a jug of water that is about to be poured out onto the altar. Very symbolic thing. And Jesus does a remarkable thing. He stands up in the presence of everyone. When that water is poured out onto the altar, Jesus stands up and He says this. This is incredible. He makes this bold claim. If anyone would thirst, let him come to Me. Jesus is in front of everybody at the temple. They've just, seen, they've just seen the priest pour out this water onto the altar. And Jesus stands up and says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. Wow. He who believes in me, Jesus said, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I need that living water in my life. 
I need that restoring living water in my life all the time. God knows that. He's provided it for you and for me. He's provided a place where we can be planted by the Word of God, by the presence of His Spirit, because the water so often in Scripture is about the Spirit and presence of God. He's saying, I planted you right here firmly. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get your aim off. Don't get wanting these things, listening to the wrong people. You have what you need in me. And I'll provide the the resources to live by the living water of life for you. The very last section of the psalm is about the destiny of the wicked. It says this, Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. I'm not very righteous. I got plenty of bad habits, plenty of issues in my life. I'm not very righteous. When I think about my righteousness, as Isaiah says, it's almost like a bag of just filthy rags of stuff. He's not talking about my righteousness, my trying to be righteous, or you trying to be righteous. We all fail in terms of that righteousness. He's talking about God's righteousness in you. It's God taking on and being your righteousness and mine, which is a humbling thought. I cannot be righteous on my own. I am totally dependent on God to be righteous. But it says this, and this is the heart's desire of a person who follows after God, is that they would bask in the righteousness of God for them. Hmm. I love that. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction for the Lord. The Lord watches over what? The Lord watches over the way of the righteous. That means that God's eye is on you and on me. Those who are intent on following God, on listening on learning, on growing, on deepening, on drawing resources from God. God's eye is on you and on me. That's the last section. The core of the cynic's heart, I believe, is a desperate need to be loved. The cynic is negative and critical and believes only in themselves. The rescue for the cynic is this, to discover the transforming power of who Jesus is. That Jesus is the resource. All of us at one time or another are or have been in danger of that kind of cynicism, yielding to the way of thinking and acting on the wrong path in the wrong direction. But God says there's an antidote for that. There's an antidote for that. And the antidote is to believe who Jesus is, that He provides everything we need to stand with Him. To live in Him. He provides a clear path that will shape our lives in a godly manner and keep us in step with Christ Himself. Blessed is the one. This is how the psalm starts and this is how it ends. Blessed is the one. And then at the very end, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. You walking in that path today, being blessed by God, being empowered by God with a purpose and a mission and knowing that you're righteousness in Christ alone because that's where God wants you today. He wants you to know firmly and securely who you are, a blessed person 
and that he's watching out for you in the path as well. There's a line in that verse 4, and it's talking about the wicked. It's just explained a little bit about, the psalmist has just explained about the person who meditates on the Word of God. And then there's this little phrase, and it just says this, not so, not so the wicked. Here's the way the person who is righteous and finds their righteousness in Christ and is following God is like, but not so the wicked. I'd like to reverse that today and say, for all of the things that draw us away and take us the wrong direction and people who are full of cynicism and all the things that we're warned about, sinfulness, ungodliness, and evil thoughts and all that kind of stuff, I'd like to be able to say, to flip that around and say, not so for the follower of Christ. Not so. You can have all that other stuff, but not so for the one who follows Christ. Not so in your life, not so in my life. I don't have time for that. I want to follow God. I want to be led by God. I want to be the person that God wants me to be. God wants you to be the person He's made you. God wants you to be strong and be nourished by Him. Not so the way of the wicked. This is what it is for the follower of Christ. Hey, why don't you pray with me this morning? Jesus, thank you. We don't want to be people who are following after the wrong things. Our lives are harmed when we do. God, would we be people that say, not so for the follower of Christ. I stand with him. My path is marked out by you, Jesus. Maybe this morning for you today, you just need to say, in a quiet moment here, you just need to say, God, I just need your restorative water to wash over me. I need the living water today to wash over my concerns, my worries, my cares, to wash over my misguided steps, to wash over the, the counsel I've listened to that isn't you. Maybe you just need to say right now in this moment, Jesus, just, just wash over me with your living water.